right, starting again from the top in three, two, one. Hello and welcome to Geeks with Shields, your home for all things good and nerdy in this The Darkest Timeline. I'm Lord Commander Ulrich and with me as always is... His shield brother, Axel Wright. How are you doing today, Axel? I am uh, tired. <laughs> yeah, had, you sound like it. Yeah, I've had a long few days. I've been at con. Um, I guess I'll do a little light promotion. I was at Anime Oasis, which is a uh, convention in Boise, Idaho, around end of May that I've been it's going. It's one of the big ones, isn't it? No, it's it's um, small comparatively. I mean, it's bigger it's now. Big because everyone I know goes to it. Yeah, uh, let's see. Last year there were about three thousand paid attendees, I think, which is you know it's, it's a lot bigger than when I first started going, and it was under a thousand. But uh, yeah, it, it was fine. It was fun, and I've been going since I was fifteen, so like it's just a tradition for me at this point. Yeah. No, yeah. for the record, never a big con guy, but I know you and basically everyone else in our friend group. That was like the yearly sojourn. Yeah, it was almost like a pilgrimage, you could say. And it's funny because there wasn't really anything on the the list I was interested in this year. Like they had, you know, uh, Vic Mignana, who has gone to the con a bunch of times, and a couple of people like uh, Christopher Weckamp, who's a voice in like My Hero Academia, a few other people I wasn't really aware of. But over the course of the the whole trip, the best thing was this group I'd never even heard of called Deadlift Lolita, which is um. It's these two people, uh, Ladybeard and Reika, an Australian dude and a Japanese girl, who are wrestlers and pop singers, and also kind of metal singers because they're kind of metal pop. Alrighty then, I don't even know where to begin with that one. They had a concert, and oh, keep in mind, so they're jacked, right? They got like you know great. They're not like huge, but they've definitely got muscle, especially Reika, this like five foot ball of muscle. Uh, but they're in Lolita cosplay, so they're all in frilly dresses and stuff. So doing this concert and you know screaming, and then suddenly some local wrestlers came up, and the con so a wrestling match broke out in the middle of the concert. <laughs> it was pretty awesome. That does sound awesome. <laughs> Afterwards, I, I went and uh, I bought some shirts and the album, and I paid enough so that you know they like gave me a bunch of different autographed stuff and took some pictures. It was. It was really cool. They were they were really great. Then we had they had a Q and A later where they tried to um break watermelons with their thighs. They couldn't do it, so they just elbow dropped them instead. <laughs> wait, wait, wait! Crush watermelons with their thighs. Yeah, some of the audience brought it up, and then they brought them watermelons, so they gave it a shot. But neither of them could do it. So, uh, yeah, they just they just elbow dropped them instead. Anyone who wanted to eat some of the watermelon could. I, well, I to put that in perspective. Uh, watermelons are often used as an analog for the human skull. So if you can crush a watermelon with your thigh, it means you can crush a human skull with your thigh. Which, that's mountain levels of awesomely terrifying. Point is, they were the most exciting part of the con. There was also a, a formal dance that my lady and I went to, and we actually danced together. It was very nice, very pleasant. Well, sounds like you had a good time. Yeah, <laughs> like I said, I'm just, just tired. So. Yeah, well, that's kind of rough, certain, you know, this early in the week being tired, but... Yeah, I understand yeah. that. I, I I got the whole new parent thing going. I know what it's like to be tired now. Well, I know tired on a whole new level, and that's nothing compared to what my wife's going through. Oh, I I totally believe it. And then next weekend, I'm going on another trip to like another state, so I just I constantly got stuff to do. But uh, I've I think I've distracted us long enough. So. Yeah. Um. Today's episode, we're going to do another segment that Axel came up with, "Gone but Not Forgotten." Axel, can you tell us what that is? So, "Gone but Not Forgotten" is uh, <laughs> to be perfectly honest, it's kind of a, 
a lazy thing. It's really just a matter of, hey, here are some things that we like that we think don't get enough attention and we want to talk about them. That doesn't that doesn't mean that these things are obscure. I mean, last time we did this, we talked about Monster Hunter, which the latest one is like a big success. It's just like we really like something and we don't see it talked about enough for one reason or another. So we want to talk about it. That's it's just an excuse for us to go off about something we like, really. Yeah, and to be fair, Monster Hunter is now getting a movie. So I was unaware of that. I did see a yeah. lot of Flushes at the uh, the dealer's room at Con though that was cool. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's uh, getting a movie starring Mila Jokovich and the entire production studios from the Resident Evil movies. So make of that what you will. Uh, okay. <laughs> like I said, make of that what you will. Sure, as long as they have the angry pickle, which anyone who's played Monster Hunter knows what I'm talking about. But today, uh, I'm going to start us off by talking about a show that was um, one of my favorite shows growing up. I had it all in DVD, although the DVDs are all scratched to hell now. The show's called Titus, and it was uh, – there, there's a, a history in American television. I don't know about other countries, but in American television of comedians adapting their acts into sitcoms like uh, – Chris Rock did with Everybody Hates Chris, which was actually pretty good. The first thing I saw Terry Crews in, actually. Um, I mean, Seinfeld is the titular example, essentially. He's quintessential, I should say, to be yeah, more. Yeah, I did, I did not, I, to this day, do not like Seinfeld. That, you know, I'm not a huge fan, but I respect Seinfeld more than I actually like it. So that could be worth investigating at some point. Yeah. point is that uh, Christopher Titus is one of my three favorite stand-up comedians, period. Now, I've, in the last few years, I've heard some stuff about him that's kind of made it. Di- I'm not going to get into that. Point is, though, growing up, like, this is the guy who inspired me to do stand-up comedy a lot because he turned his darkness in his life into stand-up comedy. He, he, you know, uh, his first big special, Norman Rockwell's Bleeding, was all about him explaining, like, how that keeps him sane and stuff. Anyway, point is, first of all, if anyone has uh, not seen. Christopher specials, they are totally worth seeing. Like, Norman Rockwell's Bleeding, Love is Evil, um, Neverlution, all really good. I've seen them live a couple times. So Titus was him adapting his special into a uh, like an actual sitcom, right? And he took characters from his special and, you know, actually cast them as people. Most of his act was about his his parents, particularly his dad, because he grew up with his, his hard-ass dad. Stacey Keach plays his dad, and he's... Okay, for anyone who doesn't know, right, like, one of the biggest ways to describe Titus' material is he's got a bit where he says... He opens up his uh, normal Uncle's bleeding, and he opens up the show with the exact same quote. The quote is, uh, the Los Angeles Times states that 63% of American families are dysfunctional. That means we're the majority. And that sets the tone for the whole thing. Yeah, no. Uh, you introduced me to both to this show and to him, and he has a wickedly dark sense of humor. Yeah, well, like I said, he basically takes his darkness and, and adapts it, right? Like, so the, the show itself, so that does this thing I really love that I, it didn't invent this, but the show can be broken up into three se- uh, sections. There's section one, which is the story proper, which is, what's happening with Titus and his family. Section two. Yeah, exactly. 
section two is flashbacks and where you know they Titus says something happened and then they actually show you that thing happening and it's usually some good joke uh section three is the most important though section three is Titus by himself in this black and white room with just a chair and a light bulb and he's talking directly to the audience and you know you realize this is his mind like that's why he's usually acting and talking about what's happening in the a plot but it's just his brain talking like directly to the audience and this format lets them play around a lot with what they can show on screen yeah no i remember when you first showed this to me i thought it only had one season and i was thinking well this first season it's okay i can kind of think it picked up to be a second season but then i found out there was more and the show does get better and better especially with his dad yeah, well, that's the thing. There's, so there's three seasons total, and uh, season three, you know, really like it, season two is probably is definitely better than season one, and season three is certainly more darker. Like he kept taking more risks. For anyone who doesn't know the the, the show, I, oddly, or actually, if you do know the show and don't know why it was canceled, because it actually was killing it in the ratings. So the reason why it was canceled, according to Titus, and uh, in one of his specials, Nevolution, he goes into detail about this. I think it was Nevolution anyway. He basically, there was a new president at Fox who um, wanted a certain plot point to happen in the show. Titus refused point blank, and then the the network basically started destroying Titus slowly by moving it to terrible time slots and shit like that. Yeah, so. which if you know anything about how network TV works, that's not that surprising, especially the people at Fox. I mean, this is the people that not only canceled Futurama, but Firefly, and now most recently one of my favorite shows, Lucifer. Oh, they canceled Lucifer? Oh, my lady's going to be really mad about that. Yeah. Now, brief sideline on that one. If the writers learn nothing from the cancellation of Lucifer, let it be love triangles are cancer and don't belong in your show. <laughs> I generally agree with you. Your but show got canceled because you did a love triangle. No one likes love triangles. <laughs> well, just to kind of steer back-ish on topic here. So, so Titus, um, first of all, if dedicating yourself to an entire show seems um, like heavy, just watch the hour special Norman Rockwell is Bleeding. If that works for you, then watch the show. And the first half of the first season basically just guts that act. They take like every bit from that act and turn it into an episode. I love it because it's adding visuals to, you know, these jokes I already loved, but uh, they start expanding out after that point is it's really great to do things like this when it comes to stand-up comics and shows. And at least when the show is so accurately adapted that you can just see, do I, do I like this stand-up comic? I'll probably like the show then. And that's very true in this case. So yeah, check out Norman Rockwell's Bleeding, and if you like that, then check out Titus. I actually don't know like where Titus is available right now. Like I said, I bought my DVDs like ten years ago from like a Hastings. So if you can find them online, the company is no longer around. Sadly, exactly. Yeah, exactly. But uh, I, yeah, I highly recommend it. If if the idea of a uh, damaged and deranged comedian with an alcoholic father and a clinically insane mother dealing with the normal people and other insanity in his life doesn't sound appealing to you, then I, I really don't know where we can continue with any sort of relationship. So, You realize you described like three quarters of all comedians, right? 
Sure. But uh, I, mean, I feel like... Comedians are damaged people. That's why they make jokes. Well, that's why I added the specificity of a clinically insane mother. <laughs> so, okay, which is... so now we're down to 50%. Oh, okay. Okay, fine. Sure. I mean, I... Not ragging I love... on stand-up comedians or not. You people are hilarious. But there is definitely a correlation between mental illness and being funny. As a side note, since I mentioned Titus is one of my three favorite comedians, just to fill in the gaps, the other two are George Carlin and Mitch Hedberg. So. Yeah, no, there was a time when Axel quoted George Carlin regularly. I, I is still it as bad as it sounds? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, he turned into a – I tried to read his sort of autobiography, and it was a little too self-indulgent for me. So I'm, I can acknowledge that the man had problems, but goddamn, he was a genius on the stage. So, speaking of geniuses, because I'm going to just get right out ahead of this, I'm going to talk about Sucker Punch, that movie that everyone hates but no one understands. Uh, all right, let's get the pretension right up front. Okay. Well, I'm going to be – this list choice will get me nothing but shit because everyone right now hates Zack Snyder. <laughs> and I'm not going to say it's undeserved because he should not have been doing the DC movies. That's not his wheelhouse. Yeah, his. I, I will defend Zack Snyder as a filmmaker personally, but his sensibilities and strengths were not appropriate for what I and many other DC fans would have wanted from the cinematic universe. Yeah, no, he was not the right choice for that. And a lot of people hate Sucker Punch and consider it his worst film ever, which isn't <laughs> fair. I think it's funny that, um, I mean... I, I get to be a little bit smug here because I remember when that first came out, you were on that train too, and I I liked it when it For first. What came out. Sucker Punch? Yeah, you didn't. No, you I are, like Sucker Punch. <laughs> I remember you arguing with me about that, man. Fine, we can push that aside. Point is that Sucker Punch was one of those movies that I enjoyed when I first watched it, and the more I I learned and like studied it, the more uh, I the more I liked it actually. So. No, if anything, I came out of it kind of confused. And I'm like, that's a pretty good movie. I enjoyed that. I don't fully understand what's going on. It takes some processing. Then a couple more reviews. And then, you know, again, one of our favorite critics, Movie Bob, did a whole two-part discussion on it. And it was like, okay, yeah, now I can really dig into this movie and, you know, the subtlety and the nuance that goes on. And for those of you that haven't seen this movie, people will picture to you, Oh, it's the action one with the girls in skimpy outfits, which, yes, but also fuck off. <laughs> well, see, that's the thing. Is like, we've talked about how we like Movie Bob, Jeremy Johns, Chris Stuckman. And I think those are the, the good kind of try three points for, especially about this kind of movie. Like, I don't remember Chris Stuckman's views, but I remember Jeremy Johns was definitely on the side of, this is just like, there's not a whole lot going on here. It's just kind of visually interesting. And which it I is. mean, yeah. Zack Snyder does that, but like one of the the main criticisms I'm sure you can agree with that you hear a lot is that the movie is just a um like you know just scantily clad women. It's just a visual fantasy, and it's like the movie itself is taking the piss out of anyone who actually enjoys that kind of thing. So it's kind of yeah. the opposite. And I'm going to tell you, go watch Movie Bob's dissection of this because he does break it down, but he makes probably the best counter argument point. Any time these women are, you know, depicted or uh, what's the word I'm searching for here? Well, the thing is, anytime they're engaged in one of these scenes that's like an action scene that's something out of anime where it's supposed to be, right? The idea in any other of those series 
right? Is that it's okay to ogle these women because they're badass doing badass things, right? But in this case, in this movie, anytime that's happening, what's actually happening in the narrative is that it's a mental escape for someone, a baby doll, who is doing a strip tease, which means the movie is straight up saying, no matter what justification you try to give, this strip tease is only that. It's a strip tease, right? Yeah. So. And no, no, I was going to say, anytime, you know, they're being purely sexually objectified, they cut to a male character, and it is the most gross, disgusting, terrible male character possible going, if you are sitting here oogling this, and I won't get crude, but this is you. This is what we think of you. Yeah. I do I feel like we, uh, we need to promote Chipman a little bit less, <laughs> but um, because he's got his own channel for that. But yeah, that is totally what the movie's doing. The movie is not a is not a misan uh, misogynist. It's not a misogynist movie. It's a misandrinous movie. The movie hates men, so which is weird that I love it as much as I do. But let's just break it down. On the surface level, it is a beautiful sci-fi action fantasy movie. On the surface, if you're going in for nothing more than beautiful visuals and kick-ass action scenes, it's got that. Then on another subtextual level, you get a bit of psychology about escaping the horrors of reality into your own, you know, fantasies and the nature of fantasy and how that plays into our dealings with reality. And then a level below that, you get into a whole bevel of subtext. I uh, I do want to be fair and uh, fair is not the right word. I do want to say that like while I will I enjoy this movie, and I'll defend it on the reasons we're kind of describing. I do want to point out that personally. I don't like Baby Doll. I don't like really anything about her. Now, I get that thematically, she is supposed to be a literal representation of like the infantilization of these kind of characters, especially in things like anime, where they literally have like what look like 10 year old girls that are sexualized. See things like Strike Witches, for instance. Uh, I get that, that she's supposed to fill that function. She also can technically be a fit-in for like a third or fourth wave, depending on how you read into um, her relationship with the other girls. I get that, but I just don't enjoy seeing her on screen. Like her acting is, I don't know if, it's probably intentional to be that way, considering that she's mentally messed up. But it's, it's, it's like that, I always come back to the Spider-Man thing, where it's like, I can explain why... Peter Parker acting like an emo with a symbiote makes sense. That doesn't make it easier to watch, you know? <laughs> that is a, yeah, no. And I use this movie anytime someone tells me that Zack Snyder is just a dumb jock that doesn't know how to make movies. I go, then you have not seen Sucker Punch. And if you did, didn't understand it, which makes me feel just all over pretentious douchebag. <laughs> but that, that's my one allowance. I will defend this movie and I will mostly defend most of Zack Snyder's work because I think he's a really good director. It's just well, I mean, it depends on what you define as a good director, right? Like, I think that he's certainly a unique director who uh, has a very distinct style. And, like, as much as I say don't agree with the under themes of a movie like 300, like, there's a reason why that's in the popular culture as it is. And Sucker Punch, in a, in a similar vein, is like, this movie has a lot of problems, but it's it's really unique, it's really bold, it's really interesting. And of course, me and you are both biased as hell with uh, Watchmen, because we both love it, even though yeah. I, I can acknowledge that I think that Zack Snyder really doesn't understand the point of Alan Moore's story, which is why I totally get why I say I Alan I don't Moore. think Alan Moore even understands the point of Alan Moore's story. <laughs> the guy's a snake worshiper. How much together okay. is he? 
we, we can talk about that another time. My point is that, like, there's a general set of ideas and themes that most fans of the graphic novel agree are there that Zack Snyder seems to almost fly in the face of. But it's still a really good movie for, like, a completely different set of reasons, which is why I always say yeah. I like the movie and the graphic novel. So Yeah. So, no, I will – if you haven't seen this movie – or you saw this movie and you didn't like it, give it a second watch with these things in mind, and I think you will find it much, much more enjoyable and an all-around better film. And depending on your own political things, you may have new reasons to hate this movie because we told you it stars powerful women. Well, also, not just stars powerful women, but is a movie that hates men, specifically men in power who abuse their position, uh, usually against women. Like it, The movie is a large condemnation of not only that, but audiences who get off on that kind of thing so which is really weird coming from the guy that made 300 exactly right it's so I, it's just interesting that Zack snyder can do that kind of mental gymnastics at least that's what it seems like and of course i i, mean, I don't know the guy i'm just reading into a movie that he made but i do feel like there's something to be said that if you look at enough movies or even just the right movie that a filmmaker makes you, you can get a uh a vision into what's going on in their mind, right? Like, not not a perfect one, but you can tell something about uh, a filmmaker by their film, I think. Oh, that's definitely true. Certain filmmakers, there are definite things that's like, I'm noticing a pattern with you. I mean, none spring to mind, but there are a couple that I know. <laughs> Mel Gibson springs to mind for me. Oh, yeah, Mel Gibson's got a very clearly defined message, but we're not going to talk about that one. Okay, how about Clint Eastwood? Like, you look at his movies, and you can tell a lot oh, yeah. about him. So anyway, so yeah. So what do you want next for us? Oh, uh, I'm going to go with a game, and it's a game that, again, is like, I don't think this is necessarily obscure, but I've actually met a lot of people who haven't played it, which is Final Fantasy Tactics Advance. Now, saying that a Final Fantasy game it doesn't get enough praise, I think is already like a weird statement, but I always felt like there were you know, a number of Final Fantasy games that really overshadow the others, like 7 and 9, I feel like tend to get touted. Mostly 7. Like, I'm not going to put criticism on 9, because 9 is awesome. I feel like 7 is good, but just highly overrated. Just It came out at the perfect eight time. 8 is better. Ooh, that's a really contentious... Uh, I'm, not, I'm not touching that one. <laughs> I already, you know, chose to die on the hill of Sucker Punch. I have made my enemies, and I am okay with that. Really, six is the best, but that's not the point. Point is, um, never played so, six, so I can't say. Yeah, but uh, tactics, right? Was originally uh, this side game that wasn't part of the main series, but it was a turn-based uh, RPG, like on a grid system, very like chess-like. And then tactics advance is just that kind of game, but on Game Boy Advance. So yeah, it's like this turn-based system, and it's on the advance. I, I I never played the original Final Fantasy Tactics on the on disc, so Advance was my first experience with it, and it was just a really fun game. Now, it's funny because later in life, when I discovered Fire Emblem, I was like, "Wow, there's a lot of similarities here," but or I guess in your case, XCOM. So the superior game. Ah, uh, sure. I'm making all sorts of friends this episode. Come at me, anime people. I do not fear your oversized hairdos and tiny swords. Tiny. Anyway, uh, Final Fantasy, right, has always been a narrative series. Like, we've, t I talked about the aesthetics of gameplay, and Final Fantasy tends to be largely a narrative series. So while there's a lot of good, like, other things going on in Tactics Advance, just for a quick kind of setup, the, the storyline of Final Fantasy Tactics Advance is that there's this uh, city called 
Ivalice, and there's this kid uh, named Marsh, I think is what his default name is, what you name him, whatever you are. Uh, moves into this new town. He's got a brother who's in a wheelchair. I don't think they ever say exactly what he has, but he's also really sick. So he's got he's got some illness. Like think like polio. I don't think it actually is polio, but think like that, right? So he makes friends with some kids at school. One kid who's the like super badass bossy uh, girl with, of course, vib- violently red hair. And then one kid. I can tell where this is going already. And one kid named uh, Newt, I want to say, who is, like, super meek and gets bullied all the time. Animatrix 101, okay. Whose dad is an alcoholic and whose mom is dead. So, uh... man! Wait, no. So, they all go uh, after school. It's, like, the first day, and um, because Marsh is a new kid, the Newt, and I want to say Ritz. It's been a while since I played, but they, they go with him to his house to check out this new book that I think Newt found, if I remember correctly. So they go meet Marsh's brother, the kid in the wheelchair. They're reading this book. This book's got all sorts of crazy stuff in it. And then they, you know, talk about like what they, you know, things they'd like if magic were real, essentially. And then Marsh goes to sleep and he wakes up and he is in a crazy fantasy world that basically was described by the book, but is named Evilus. Like the country is the name of what was the city and all the stuff in the book has come to life, but he still has so, a couple of memories. This is sounding sort of like, you know, a uh, never ending story. Well, it, it, the idea of the book to fantasy reality, sure. But that's really where it ends because. Well, I'm, I'm trying to find, you know, a point to latch on because you started out with mid '90s cartoon for you know the diversity group, and now we transitioned into and diversity group. Right, Tolkien group. There's the word I'm looking for. Well, Jason, Dad. But well, go ahead. I'm just go ahead. This is weird, but this well, is also Final Fantasy. About it. Normally, that group that I described, right, that would be like our party group, but that's not yeah. at all what happens here. Instead, um, because Newt was the one who like cast the spell or whatever it is it was his wish that came true to be in a world where he is powerful and his mom's alive so his mom is the queen of the whole country he's the prince his father is the judge master essentially being like the ultimate judge in the in the country and he does not in any way want the world to go back to what it was Ritz, meanwhile, similar thing. She's like gets to experience this whole life as like a mercenary. So when you she's the first like of the characters you meet because no one's around when you first show up in this world. She doesn't want to go back either. And she thinks the fact that Marsh does want to go back is insane. And then he finds his brother finally and he can walk. So he doesn't want to go back either. <laughs> so all of them are basically antagonists to Marsh, who wants to try to return the world to what it is because this is a, a fantasy that Newt essentially created with magic. So you spend so you spend this game essentially destroying these other characters literal dream come true. <laughs> Absolutely. So you want me to play a game where I have to put the wheelchair kid back in a wheelchair? Yep. <laughs> what the hell, Japan? Final Fantasy's always about uh always been about crushing um, fantasies. I mean, literally, most Final Fantasy games are very anti-religion, where you like destroy religion and destroy God. This case, the uh, the metaphor is just a little more literal, where you're destroying a fault, you know, a falsehood, a delusion that these children have, because the truth is essentially more important. Is the the message that this game is sending you? So that's okay. the. 
Well, okay, hold on a second. Okay, we have to make a little PSA. Geeks with Shields does not promote putting unparalyzed people back in wheelchairs <laughs> or returning people to any horrible reality. We are all for escapism. <laughs> Axel has chosen some horrible, horrible, mean-spirited evil game. <laughs> That's why I thought this would be funny to bring up because, yeah, this game is in a lot of ways like talking about the nature of escapism. Now, What's wrong with you, Japan? Why do you hate the apparently disabled? So, so Marsh, right? He meets a, a Moogle, which is like a little cat creature thing. Um, he joins a guild, and uh, you spend a lot of the game just doing quests for the guild and figuring out the physics of how this world exists, which had to do with like crystals and shit. Um, as for the actual, well, Final Fantasy's always big, been big about crystals. But You're so right, how, fair enough. So Final Fantasy, but so how the the gameplay works right it's like i said it's it's like a, almost like a chessboard it's grids um you take like six you can your guild can have like 12 characters but you only take six in the battle at a time uh you have skills movement attack that kind of shit um your equipment has skills attached to it so the more you use the equipment the better you get the skills until you learn them and then you can switch off to new equipment while retaining the skills you learned if you learn enough skills in a certain class then you can essentially upgrade to a different class or in some cases you have to learn skills from like four different classes to unlock one the one of the best examples of this is the summoner so in order to be a summoner you've got to master like two white mage skills two black mage skills like a fencer skill it's not actually um a class but something like that but so it creates this very complex kind of system of how you progress in the game based on equipment skills and experience and yeah it's very uh i mean tactics is in the name so the combat is very tactical with its you know turn-based grid system that also has like elevation is a thing about it so you could be well, yeah, I was just about to ask does it include things like flanking bonuses and height bonuses and stuff yes, that you typically actually. find in tactical games mm -hmm. if you try to attack someone face front you only have like a 30 percent chance to hit them but if you attack them from behind you'll get like a 90 percent chance if you try to shoot an arrow at someone who's like four uh levels of elevation above you then your chance to do it is going to be like one percent but if you try to do the other way like shoot down it's going to be like 90 percent. so yeah all that stuff's involved Interesting. Now, does the game end with you killing your cat friend from the uh, group? Because that seems like the nature of this game. It's like, okay, well, we've ruined everyone's dreams. What else can I stomp on? Well, I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. I never actually reached the end of the game. I've put probably hundreds of hours into it, uh, doing like side quests and stuff, but I never reached the end of the main story. So I'm not actually sure how it ends. <laughs> so, <laughs> it ends I, with I... him waking up in a wheelchair and the game going, how do you... <laughs> oh... Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if the end gave... I mean, Final Fantasy was never one for multi-endings, uh, so I don't know. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if each of them, like... If there's some dark, hidden secret to how the magic works, and at the end they revert it, and everyone is better off somehow after discovering, essentially, that, you know, hiding in a fantasy is, you know, unhealthy. That, that kind of shit. But... <laughs> The point is, though, that if you're into tactics games, uh, any of the, the – because there's, like, a bunch of them. I see tactics games, actually, now at this point. Well, maybe not a bunch. It's, like, a handful. Uh, this was just the one that I put the most time into. And it's really good, certainly. But from what I can tell, if you, if you uh, haven't played any of them, maybe – and you can get your hands on the original, that that's good, too. Uh, hell, for anyone who doesn't even know what I'm talking about, the actual world is the same world that's in Final Fantasy XII, I want to say. So there's, like, Banga, who are lizard people, and Vera, who are, like, 
bunny people and the Numo who are cow people. So I didn't and like Final Fantasy got weird. You know, I haven't played in over a decade, so but man, it got weird. Uh, sure, I, I I like the weirdness of it, but I also like the the harshness of the kind of moral issues that Final Fantasy deals with a lot of the times. I mean, like the first Final Fantasy game I played uh, was probably well, that's not true. The first one I played was six, but the first one I played all the way through was ten, and that's all about like the nature of religion as a, a lie and escapism as a lie. So. Deep huh. stuff. So yeah, yeah, no, In- interesting choice. I'm, I'm, I'm really curious. The comments on this video are going to be. Well, if you if you can get your hands on it, Ulrich, I do recommend you give it a shot. Uh, if anything, yeah, because that's what I want to do. Put a crippled kid back in a wheelchair. <laughs> well, I know you like tactics games, and uh, I think I do har- love tactics games. I think the harshness of the the setting in the world would be it. Oh. Also, I will say, um, because you're an XCOM kind of person, generally speaking, there isn't permadeath in uh, in Tactics Advance, except on certain levels. Like, there are certain levels that... Ha- essentially, the way the combat works, a judge appears, and the judge has rules, and the rules change every day. So literally, you got to keep track of what the rules are on a given in-game day, because the rule might be no thunder magic. And if you use it, suddenly the judge will fucking card you. But... uh. So the judge is the downside of the judge is that you can't do certain things, but the upside is he makes sure no one dies. So if you go to a lawless area, there are no rules, but if someone dies, they stay dead. Huh. Well, maybe I will give that a try. I don't know. Like I said, I've been out of Final Fantasy and JRPG style stuff for so long, and it's not really my thing, but I'll probably give it a try. All right, so I want to talk about a TV show that you suggested to me when it was back on the air, but in all fairness, I chose to ignore your suggestion because at the time you were really into some, uh, a a children's show involving ponies. And I largely discredited your references and I'm gonna talk about Dan versus. And further proof that you shouldn't discredit my references. So, because Dan had a pretty big negative going against you, but that's a whole nother thing. So Dan versus the title is kind of self-explanatory. It's about a character named Dan, who basically engages in a feud and attempt revenge at something every episode. He declares vengeance against something at the beginning of every episode. The first one being uh, a state. Arizona. Arizona, thank you. Dan versus Arizona. I've been rewatching it lately because, again, this is a really weird but really funny show. And the best thing is he typically wins. He wins against the state of Arizona. Yeah, he he only loses a couple times. So, and that's like it's it's an animated show, but it really rides the line between being almost too mature for kids. Oh, he's also uh, voiced by Curtis Armstrong, which is just awesome. So, voice fits perfectly, and no, it focuses on our small cast. You got Dan, and you know his buddy, whose name escapes me all of a sudden, Chris, Chris, and his wife Elise. And Chris is this kind of this bumbling moron but good natured that gets drug along in all of dan's ridiculous schemes by and the way as a, as a show that was on the hub when the hub was a thing it it could get me surprisingly adult sometimes there's this joke and i want to say episode one where this guy I, I won't do the whole setup but the point is 
So this guy gets hit by a vehicle, and Chris is freaking out, and Dan says the sentence, hey, man, you kiss another guy's wife, you get hit by a bus. Karma. That wasn't the first episode. I know that episode happens later. But no, the first episode is a joke where, you know, Dan says, don't you know all hot air balloonists or Satanists that gather, you know, every five years to sacrifice a virgin to their pagan gods? And typically this is just a throwaway joke or Dan's insanity. But it references, that's actually what these hot air balloon people are doing. Yeah, well, most of the time, like you said, Dan is, um, not only does he win, but he's usually correct about the things he's talking now dan's life is miserable that's part of the point right he he lives in this really terrible rundown like a, a apartment uh with a really crappy car in fact most of the time when he declares vengeance on something it's because whatever it is it assaulted his car or hurt his car so and uh at one point chris even mentions that he has a really odd set of knowledge like to to illustrate i don't i can't quote the scene at all but he asks uh dan who created or who designed Mount Rushmore, right? And Dan spouts off the guy's name, when he did it, what you know, what year, all that. And Elise is like, oh, that's impressive. And Chris goes, wait, wait, Chris, or uh, Dan, where is Mount Rushmore? And Dan's like, how am I supposed to know that? Yeah, and he gets angry about the whole thing. And no, Dan is not a nice guy. Unfortunately, like one of the biggest things I've heard when I talk about this and people have suggested or I say I've watched it people like you know you're a lot like Dan and at first (laughs) I was like no hold on a second and then I thought about it okay (laughs) just I've heard angry vengefulness I've heard you declare vengeance to something like and yell it to the sky before which which is what Dan does in each episode so yeah but no this thing is most lots of is yes this stuff does happen to Dan but a lot of it is his own fault he declares war on the Salvation Army because he parked his car in a donation spot where you're not supposed to park and then decides, okay, they're in the wrong. <laughs> he declared war on Canada because he got attacked by various Canadian things, which is probably one of the best episodes well, because it reveals that, that all Canadians are part bear. Yeah, I also love that they, uh, they're driving to Canada to get to the border and the Canadian, like, border guard's like, what are you here for? And Dan says, I'm like, I'm here to destroy Canada. And the guard goes, nope. And he just grabs the car, lifts it up, turns it around, puts it back down. <laughs> no, I mean, like joke. I said, and even like, you know, you said that Dan lives in a crappy apartment. That's kind of his own doing because in Dan versus Dan, which is a great episode where <laughs> Dan gets his identity stolen by John C. McGinley, the voice of Dr. Cox or the actor from Dr. Cox of Scrubs, he makes everything nice and wonderful. Yeah. Um, My favorite episode, for the record, is Dan versus the Dentist. That's because we get Mark Hamill as the dentist, who's a supervillain, and it's yeah, that was really good. No, this was a really good show, and even though it got canceled, it I think if you reverse the last two episodes, it is a perfectly complete season. Wasn't the last episode about how Dan and Chris first met? Yeah, but the second to last episode is the Bermuda Triangle, where everybody's secrets get revealed. Oh, well. Because there's kind of this ongoing subplot where we learn that Chris's wife, Elise, is actually a secret agent and many times results in Dan's victories inadvertently. Yep. And I think, like, one of the best, there's some great, you know, throwaway jokes. Like when, you know, and the best thing is when Elise teams up with Dan over random things, like Elise's hatred of magicians, we they team up there and it's a hilarious backstory. Or Dan and Elise's shared hatred 
of Roadrunners, which is dark and hilarious because it parodies the opening scene from The Lost World. Ah, I do remember Elise's uh, backstory with the Roadrunner. Yeah, it's it's um, sad. Let's go sad. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, for a show that was marketed for ch- on a children's TV network, this one really rode the line. And I guess originally they pitched it as a sitcom, which I don't think would have worked as well. No, but you got to remember, I mean, this again ties in the idea that in the last, uh, 50, uh, let's say 10 years, last 10 years or so, taking um, children's animation, right, that is still enjoyable and appropriate for that age group, but but putting in like hidden depths or hidden darkness or hidden deepness so that the children's parents can also enjoy it has become a like a not not a common thing necessarily but a more frequent thing it's how, it's how we get shows like this or gravity falls or steven universe or and you know it's just just a good time to be a fan of animation right now yeah and there were slowly creeping towards the point and i can't believe i'm saying this that we can have adult animation that isn't just crude humor yeah i mean don't get me wrong i i love me uh, a ren and stimpy but I, I like more than that too. The medium can do so much more. Yes. And the only thing I really wish that had happened is they had done this great job of setting up adversaries for Dan. You know, the Wolfman, the dentist, the well, other Dan. I don't know what we want to call him, the imposter, whatever. And I really would have loved a team up episode of all of Dan's adversaries coming back against him. And from what I can tell, it's cancellation never had an adequate reason like yeah the, that's what i found it just yeah. the people behind the the show like uh armstrong the the voice of dan has said that the it was never really explained to him basically they just kept waiting for it to get picked up for the next season and then it kind of just didn't and no one ever gave him an adequate reason for why it was canceled so we just don't really know why it was canceled no i this is a hilarious show and it works with a very small cast but you get repeated background characters and a couple and a great kind of through jokes i mean a lot of times this is one of those rare shows where if something happened in the background or happened previously episodes it will continue to be referenced moving forward yeah i mean I with only three main characters hmm? i was saying with only three main characters you have the uh the wiggle room to do that kind of thing yeah, it's kind of got a Simpsons-esque quality with the background characters. Each time you see them, you learn a little bit more about them. Mm-hmm. But I think one of my favorite running jokes was whenever somebody talks down to Dan, he pinches them and he goes, why'd you pinch me? You talk to me like a child, I pinch you like a child. Which <laughs> is Dan's mentality. Yeah. No, like I said, I really regret not watching this show sooner, but it's one of those ones that every couple years I'll go back and rewatch because I forget how good it is. <laughs> and even being made in flash animation it really looks good i mean yeah. a lot of times they use flash animation to cut corners but no this is a pretty solid show i think when i tried to sell it to you i think i sold it to you as you will relate to this character <laughs> that's what everyone says it's watched it you know they either they said have you watched dan versus because i think you should because you're dan or i'll say you know i really like dan versus like that doesn't surprise me you're totally dan yeah yes <laughs> And the more I watched it, the more I'm like, damn it, I am Dan, because I totally would declare war against Canada. You declare war against most things. It's The best episodes are definitely, I think, times when Dan declares war against a concept. Because like I said, my favorite is Dan versus the dentist, but that's still a, a very specific person that Dan is declaring war against. But when he declares – there's one Dan versus the common cold. Like that 
like how you even wrap your head around how he does that. I I don't well, know. I like uh, Dan versus technology. That was the one I most related to. Yeah, but that because... concept of like just declaring vengeance against something that you literally cannot really declare vengeance against, but Dan's gonna find a way. Like that's just hilarious. No, like I said, if you haven't seen this show, give it a watch. It's three seasons long. It's really funny, and like you're finding surprising. It really rides the line uh, humor wise. Yeah, fifty-three like, twenty-two minute episodes. So. Yeah. No, uh, definitely. I would give this my suggestion. And uh, speaking of suggestions, let's move on to our suggestions of the week. What do you got for us? Well, I was going to suggest Deadlift Lolita, but I kind of already talked a lot about them. But since I had not heard of them, they're only like two or three years old. Like, I'm not going to suggest them to you, Ulrich, because you wouldn't like the music, and I don't think you would find their personas that interesting. So this is not for you. But the the concept of a you know a five foot Japanese girl with uh, muscles like crazy muscles teaming up with a you know six foot Australian dude with a, a giant beard and pigtails both of them in Lolita clothing sing, like singing metal and beating up people if that that's really the only way I can describe it their energy is really high so they're really fun and uh, I, I bought their album it's only got six songs on it technically only three and then three instrumental it's like a more like a demo it feels like but I'm enjoying the hell out of it. So recommend them. Also, uh, if anyone out there has heard of Ali Wong, she's kind of become more of a house name since she had a Netflix special a couple of years ago called Baby Cobra. Do you know who I'm talking about, Ulrich? Yeah, I actually just watched her uh, second special. Which is what I was going to suggest. She just recently, as in like la- uh, two weeks ago, came out with a new special, Hard Knock Wife. Um, and it is extremely raunchy. Comedy. Yeah, I was gonna say you might want to put a raunch warning on this one. Oh yeah, yeah, this is not for children at all. This is. Uh, I say even for some adults, she gets descriptive. Like, yeah, yeah. To give you a frame of reference, she has one long, really good joke about rim giving a guy a rim job, but it, it is hilarious. So, uh, if that if if hilarious. yeah, if super raunchy comedy from a a pregnant uh, woman sounds. F- funny to you or if you haven't seen baby cobra which you really should you know see that and then hard see hard knock wife there that's my suggestion for the week yeah no i'm also going to suggest a netflix uh movie called a futile and stupid gesture which is a documentary quote unquote documentary movie whatever have you about the origins of national lampoon okay which the le- for those of you who don't know, National Lampoon is behind Caddyshack, uh, Animal House, Vacation, Vacation, just a lot of great comedy movies. They also, they are a huge contributor to SNL. Um, they basically created the adult version of Mad Magazine with the National Lampoon. And the less, honestly, the less you know about this whole company and these people, the more enjoyable this is because there's some real twists you don't see coming. But not only is it hilarious, but like I said, it is a great view into kind of the tragic mindset that produces some really hilarious people and the problems they have. I mean, there's this great joke, and this is a true story. They're all gathered around the writing room, and the guy, the main guys come back in. He's been on vacation. He's been off. And the bomb squad is there, and one of his uh, writers is arguing with the bomb squad, no, it's my bomb. It was sent to me, and I get to keep it if I want. 
<laughs> okay. And you're going, this was an actual, this actually happened. Who argues that they get to keep a bomb because the bomb was, you know, sent to them? And it's really this mixture of great comedy with really tragic stuff. And it's kind of a cool, you know, behind the scenes look at what made some of these great movies like Animal House and Caddyshack. Especially some of the stories that come out of Caddyshack. It makes you look at that movie in a whole new light. Mm. Okay. And my other one is Warlord Fury of the God Machine, which is a 40K book, which I'm going to get right away. The opening is amazing, which is just a group of titans, which are giant death robots fighting an endless horde of Tyranids, which are like the bugs from Starship Troopers if they did meth. <laughs> and by meth, I mean they're that much more aggressive the stuff. Wow. And it follows this group. And unfortunately, that's the high part point of this book. I mean, it's still a good book, but from there it goes to, okay, they're battle damage, and now they have to face a chaos, you know, Titan Legion, as well as stop a chaos uprising of corn. And it's like, okay, you had an interesting concept, but you kind of went to the most boring, bland version of follow-up. Still a good book if you want to, you know, read what Titan warfare is like, because this is all following the Titan principles, you know, people that control them and yeah. talking about the Titans. But they should have stuck with the opening concept because, like I said, the opening bit of this book is amazingly awesome. Okay, I mean, I'm reading a bunch of books right now, so... um if you remind me in a bit and I'll, I'll take a look into it and uh, it, it, go ahead. If you had anything to complete about that, cause I actually had one more thing I want to say. No, that's all I got. Okay. Well, this is not really a suggestion. This is more like a, um, a side note. So there is a frequent listener of this uh, podcast who is a friend of mine who has been suggesting heavily a, uh, a certain book f- to me for, Let's see, what, what month is it? Uh, three or four months at this point. Now, I, hadn't, I haven't read it yet because uh, I don't want to read it online. I wanted to actually buy the book, but I hadn't taken the time to go out and get it. Now, I finally did buy it last week. I haven't told him yet. And uh, I'm about 30 chapters in, which is about 200 pages or so. The book is called... A name or the name of the wind by Patrick Rothfuss, and I'll talk about it in a second. But the point of bringing it up in this fashion is, I'm not going to tell my friend that I have it. I want him to hear it here, and you have perfect uh, permission to text me the moment you hear this. You know who you are, because like I said, I'm about 200 pages in, and I am really enjoying it. I've got one complaint about it, but generally, I am really enjoying it. So. From what I can tell so far, this book is about the greatest bard who ever lived. His name is uh, Quolf. Shakespeare. Huh? Shakespeare. <laughs> no, Shakespeare was the bard and the storyteller. I'm, talk- I'm saying bard in its D&D terms. Oh. <laughs> See, guy- that's not the Shakespeare crowd now. Okay. Uh, his name is Quolf the Bloodless, and the story is mostly about him so far, at least giving an autobiographical, well, I guess not autobiographical. I mean, he is narrating. He's got someone writing it down, but telling the story of how he came into the legends that he has. Now this book came out in 2007, I want to say. So I just bought the 10 year anniversary because it was like the hardback edition. And it's got a really interesting like system for how magic works. Like I can't go into it in too deep, detail but one of the examples they give is uh the basic of magic is called sympathy so in their like let's say you have two sticks right and then in your brain you create 
uh, a connection between the two sticks by thinking about what's similar between them. And then you say certain words to uh, to remind the sticks essentially how similar they are to each other. Once you've done this, you've created a sympathy between them. Then you can lift one stick, and the other stick will lift as well without you having to touch it. So here's what's also interesting about that, though. The more uh, when you lift that stick, you feel the weight of both sticks because energy cannot be created or lost, right? Yeah. And the, yeah, and the more uh, similar things are, the more perfect that connection is. But the less similar the two things are, the more essentially energy leaks, quote unquote. Like the uh, the author gives an example of or the character gives an example of, he took a piece of chalk and a bottle of water, created a sympathy between them, and then when he tried to lift the piece of chalk, it felt like it was 60 pounds because those two things are so dissimilar. Interesting. So yeah. what's it called and who's it by? The book is called The Name of the Wind by Patrick Rothfuss. It's a a fantasy book from what I can tell. And, well, yeah, uh, you reference D&D. Yeah, I'm just saying that like it's not like in the D&D universe or anything. I'm just saying that when I say it's about... A guy uh, who seems to be the greatest bard who ever lived. I'm using bard in the term of D and D, not just a guy who writes plays, but like a guy who uses magic, can play the lute, can fight with swords, like a an adventuring bard. See, isn't it interesting where our minds go when you say bard? You go D and D, I go Shakespeare. Yeah, and so far, quoth like as a character, an interesting name. Yeah, it's spelt like Kavath, but he tells you straight up it's pronounced quoth. So, um. Yeah, his his main thing seems to be that he can learn like really fast. Like he picked up an entire language essentially in one day. And so like everything else about him, you know, you find out can kind of be traced back to like this quality he has, which I have mixed feelings on, but the the writing is super unique. Like I'd say uh as an age group, right? It reminds me of like George R. R. Martin's level of writing. I would personally okay. say. So if you're into fantasy at all, and I admit I haven't finished the book, maybe it'll end poorly, but generally speaking from the reviews I've read and people who have read it, uh, it apparently is like a super good book and I'm really enjoying it so far. So yeah, if you like fantasy, and you're looking for a new thing to read, give this a shot because apparently it was good enough to have a, a you know a 10-year anniversary and then I'm really enjoying it. And as for you, that person out there, you can finally relax on, uh, on telling me to read it because I am reading it and I like it. So. Also, we will be billing you for this uh, promotion. <laughs> you know who you are. You've been getting too much free promotion. We are going to start billing you. <laughs> All right. So thank you for listening. Be sure to like, share, and subscribe. Nothing helps us more than sharing this podcast with a friend. Uh, please leave a comment down below if there's something you'd like to hear in a future podcast. We are on Twitter and Patreon. Links will be in the description below. As always, this has been Lord Commander Ulrich. And his shield brother, Axel Wright. Be sure to tune in next time. And as always, stay honorable.